0: Good morning. Welcome to those who are joining us in the fellowship hall and online today. I'm sure I don't have to tell you that we live in a culture that admires strength. I'd say most do, but our culture seems to admire it more than most, so much so that people are often afraid to admit when we feel weak. So often, when we do feel weak, we fall into two equally harmful ditches. Either we try to grasp at things that make us feel powerful, which when we use them, we often just end up hurting ourselves or others, or we hide, we isolate, which just makes us more vulnerable and keeps us from the people who could be our strength. I have to say, it actually takes a lot of strength to admit it when you feel weak. Some of you might remember a story I shared a few years ago about my friend who had worked for a megachurch. She was their kingdom expansion pastor, designing, developing, staffing, and launching new startup churches out of the strength of the parent church, equipping and mentoring young leaders who ran them. And when she preached, literally thousands hung on her words. She's one of the strongest women I have ever known, a force. And then, when she got married, she left the ministry to pursue her lifelong dream of becoming a mom. And then the phone calls I got from her were very different. Angie, do you remember when I used to speak and people listened? (laughs) Remember when things changed and got built? Now I can't even get my two-year-old to eat his peas or stop screaming. All of those people tools I've ever learned, I've tried. Nothing works. What's wrong with me? all I could do was let her know that this sounded a whole lot like the phone calls I used to get from my sister when my nieces were that same age. All I could say was, you're not alone. And those challenges will eventually pass to different ones. But what I admired both about my sister and about my friend was that they both strong and capable women were able to admit it when they felt broken, weak, struggling, Because then those around them, those who love them, could be their help and their strength. As both of them have been for me at different points in my life. So when we can be real with our weakness, that's when we're able to receive the strength that comes from the outside, from outside of us. And there's no greater source of strength than our Lord, and we all need his strength. In his second letter to the church at Corinth, the Apostle Paul is vulnerable enough to share his own story with the church to encourage them when they felt weak. Paul confessed that he had something that he called a thorn in his flesh, something that made him feel weaker than he wanted to be. And he writes, "'Three times I pleaded with the Lord "'to take it away from me. "'But he, Jesus, said to me, "'My grace is sufficient for you, "'for my power is made perfect.'" and weakness. Paul then says, "Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that's why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong." Those times when we feel the weakest, those are the times Jesus wants us to bring him everything. When we're ready to let him be our strength, and that's often when we see it at work the most. And we heard that in the testimonies of Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge a few weeks ago, that when we let go of our pride, of our need to be perfect or to look perfect, instead allow Jesus to catch us and redirect us. It's amazing what he will reveal in us and through us. And in our gospel lesson today, we step into the story of Jesus appearing to his disciples after the resurrection while they're out fishing, or trying to, and he was on the shore. And after he told them where to drop their nets for a miraculous catch of fish, Peter, knowing that this was Jesus, leapt into the water to swim to the shore to get there first. And at this point, he had seen the resurrected Jesus a few times before, and I'm, but I'm sure even in his joy, he was still a little bit unsure how to act. Because the last time he had seen Jesus before the cross, he was denying that he even knew him when the rooster crowed. He had been so proud of his status as a disciple. He was supposed to be Peter, the rock, but he had failed. And he knew to the core of his heart he wasn't the rock. He was just Simon. Just Simon, who still couldn't help but show his love in grand gestures like throwing himself out of the boat to reap Jesus first. But then in arriving first... He now found himself at a loss to know what to do next. But Jesus doesn't leave him hanging. After all, the disciples had their fill of breakfast. Jesus intentionally took him aside to ask him a question that he knew had to be asked. Because they both knew that Peter had denied him after promising he never would. But the question Jesus asks him is not, How could you have done that? Or, How could you be so weak? Instead, what he asks is, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Back to the basics. But this question also opens up the whole mess going on in Peter's heart. Do you love me more than all these disciples do, Jesus asks him? Because I think that's really what Peter thought, (laughs) up until this point anyway, that he did more than anyone, revealing his pride, which is why it killed him to have failed so miserably. But there's something even more profound in this question that we don't see in the English translation because the word Jesus uses here for love is agape. Agape is an all-encompassing love, a totally selfless love, the kind of love God has for us, the kind of love that would lead a shepherd to lay down his life for his sheep. Peter, do you agape me? more than all the others? And that question had to cut deep because agape love would never have denied Jesus. Agape love would never choose the self over the one loved. Peter knows as much as he wishes he could, he can't honestly say that's true of him. His choices had revealed that much. So instead he answers, Yes, Lord, you know that I follow." philo, is another word for love, but it means brotherly love, the love of a committed friend. My Greek to English interlinear translates it, you know, Lord, that I am fond of you. (laughs) Fond of you? Weak. (laughs) But that answer is a confession, both of his failure and of his honest faith. And shockingly, Jesus' response to that is to charge Peter with a new commission, feed my lambs. Now think about this. Jesus told his disciples that he is the good shepherd. He said in John 10, the hired hand doesn't care about the sheep, so he'll abandon them at any sign of danger, but the good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. Now would a shepherd who loves his sheep like that, who's proven his love by laying down his life, give over the care to those lambs to someone who couldn't be trusted? Feed my lambs, the young ones, the vulnerable ones, the ones just learning to walk, to follow. Feed them, Peter. That command is a statement of trust reinstated, calling him into Jesus' most passionate mission. And while he's still reeling over this, a second time Jesus asks, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Now, I'm sure, feeling his own failure even more in the face of Jesus' reestablished trust in him, Peter thinks about it, but still he can only honestly answer, I'm sure somewhat miserably, Yes, Lord, you know that I follow you. And Jesus responds with another command. Take care of my sheep. Take care of those who are already in the fold, those who have already learned how to follow me, who still are going to need direction because you know they too might wander. And then something changes, something that both breaks Peter's heart and also heals it. Because the third time, Jesus changes his question. This time, Jesus, looking into Simon Peter's eyes, asks, Simon, son of John, do you follow me? Are you fond of me? And it absolutely breaks Peter's heart. You see what Jesus is doing here? If you can't love me with all your heart, Peter, will you give me the love you do have? He steps down to meet Peter where he is. And Peter answers, Lord, you know all things. You know that I'm fond of you. I really do love you in my own imperfect, broken way, the only way I can. And Jesus gives him the last command, feed my sheep. Jesus is parenting. He's saying, I know where you are, Peter. I see what's true about you, and I don't need you to claim to be the best or the most or love me more than these. I know where you are. I know the kind of imperfect love you have to offer, and I'm calling you right where you are to follow me, to walk with me, know my love, and to love them with whatever love you have. Because if you love me, I'll receive that love, and it will be enough. Remember, this is the Lord who took five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000. In our weakness given over to him, we find that he is stronger than our strength could ever be. And Jesus says this because he loves Peter with agape love. Because Jesus is agape love. His love is all-encompassing, unselfish, and complete. His perfect love calls to our imperfect love and draws us in. And only love like that calls our hearts into holiness and joy in a way that our striving for perfection could never deliver. See, God created us for dependence. And the first community of dependence he calls us to live into is with him. We are called to walk first with Jesus. The first relationship to be reinstated is between Jesus and Peter. Do you love me. But being reinstated into that relationship isn't the end of the story, it's the beginning. The love Jesus draws us into is not a Jesus and me love, it's a love that grows into the calling, if you love me, feed my sheep. The holy calling Jesus has given us is not just to fish but also to feed, to add our own fish to the pile so that we can care for one another. Martin Luther once said, as Christians, we're simply beggars telling the other beggars where to get the food. So how do we feed other sheep? We are to introduce them to the shepherd. The life Jesus calls us to know is one where we're not driven by the world, but led by the Lord who loves us one step at a time. And those of us who can admire love and in our own imperfect way follow the Good Shepherd, who loves us with agape love, simply point out to others where that love can be found in the one that we follow together. That's our calling, not to walk alone, but to walk with Jesus and with Jesus to walk with each other too. Jesus and calling us to acknowledge our love for him leads us immediately into living that love for others because love is always shown in giving. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. If you love me, feed my sheep. Love pours out. But sometimes I think, like Peter, we can get stuck because we can get distracted by our own failures. And this world is so quick to call us failures. And we're so quick to become discouraged by our failures. And it seems to me there are so many pressures on people these days, especially on parents. Everyone has an opinion on what you should or shouldn't do. And every time you react in a way where your best self is overpowered by your worst, where you can't even see agape from here, it can be so easy day by day to lose hope in yourself. But when that happens, hear the good news. It's true, you have not arrived at agape love, beloved. But the one who is agape love has arrived here and now for you. And what you'll surrender to him, he'll work with. As you do the daily work of feeding his lambs, he receives that as a service unto himself, the gift of your love for him. As Paul said in writing to the Philippian church, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There's no expectation here that you will be the start and the completion of any good work in yourself. No, there's another who himself started that good work in your life and in your heart, and he will be the one to carry it on through you as you walk with him one step at a time until it finds completion in his kingdom. It's hard for us to trust that Jesus really does want to use imperfect people like Simon, like us. But the fact is, if we don't love others imperfectly, we won't love them at all. (laughs) Because imperfect love is all we've got. (laughs) And Jesus knows that. Perfect love is who he is. But through the broken glass of our lives, his perfect reflection can shine all the brighter. So how do we begin to love like that? to live into this calling to love imperfectly. We seek to feed his lambs, the young ones, who are just learning how to grab hold of spiritual sustenance, mothering love, fatherly love, mentoring love, as we walk alongside those just starting out in this journey. And we do our best to help others learn from our failures, which sometimes teach better than our successes, as we learn to look for Jesus' grace to get us through, as I'm sure Peter was able to teach. And as we're raising money to feed school kids in Haiti through our food packing event we're holding in October, together we have the actual opportunity to feed his lambs. We can answer that call to action right here. But there are many other ways to do this. Maybe volunteer with Vacation Bible School this summer. Help a younger disciple learn about the God you love. Maybe as a parent, this is your everyday calling, but what does it look like to share with your kids your honest dependence on Jesus too? How do we take care of his sheep to help each other find the purpose and love that Jesus has for us to keep us from wandering away from our shepherd? Well, partly that's what you're doing here right now as you sit together in worship. With your presence here, you are encouraging each other, reminding each other that all of us need the good shepherd to lead us. That discipleship, to be and make disciples of Jesus, is to model and to show that we don't walk alone. Together as the church community, we take care of his sheep. And Jesus also calls us to feed his sheep. We participate together in the communion meal, one serving, one receiving, neither one holier than the other, but all trusting that Jesus himself gives us the sustaining grace that we need. And so we become the hands and feet of Jesus for each other. And there will always be those among us who can no longer seek out that nourishment, and so we're sent to be the ones who feed them the hope and community that sustains in our homebound ministry, so no one is left behind. This is his flock, his beloved ones, young and old, that he calls those who are fond of him to reach out to in love, with whatever love we have to give. And what's offered in his name, he will use and grow and bless. But that doesn't mean this calling is easy. It's not. Loving is the hardest work of all. Try loving when someone's spitting peas in your face while tantruming. Loving while your enemy insults and belittles you. Loving while someone chooses to believe the worst of you. This is where your love, his love in you, beloved, shines the brightest when the world seems darkest. Jesus told Peter in accepting this commission to feed his lambs, to take care of his sheep, to feed his sheep, there would be a cost. There would come a day when he too would end up in chains, the same kind of chains that led him to the fear that caused his denial of Jesus in the first place. But in following Jesus and loving as he loves, he would come to know the promise of resurrection life is greater, stronger, and more binding than any chains of earth. And sometimes it's in our weakness that people see the strength that's beyond us, bigger than us, that sustains us. And those are times that reveal the greatest witness to Jesus' power. As Paul writes to the Philippian church, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Why? (laughs) Because they saw Paul's peace his very real hope, his conviction of what was eternal, beyond the now. They saw God's strength at work in Paul, even when he himself was weak. And they knew, as we all do, that this is the kind of strength we all need. What a beautiful promise he gives us, that his grace is sufficient for us, because in our weakness, he is strong. So, beloved, where do you feel weak today? Where do you feel that you've failed or fallen short or missed the mark of what you'd hoped that you'd be? Jesus sees you. He knows you. And he's got just one question for you, and it isn't how could you do that or how could you be so weak? His question is, do you love me? Are you fond of me, beloved? Because what love you give him, he'll work with that. And in receiving his grace, his forgiveness, we are not only forgiven, we're entrusted to walk with him step by step, commissioned into the mission of caring for his sheep, feeding his lambs and his sheep, loving those he laid down his life to redeem, that we might be part of the reflection of who he is to a world who needs him just like we do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your promise that in our weakness you are strong, that your grace is sufficient for us. We pray that you would teach us one day at a time, one step at a time, to love you with all that we've got. And Lord, we pray that that love that we receive from you, that we give for your sake, Lord, that you would use to shine your light into this world that needs you. Lord, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.